reading this week is from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. In your bulletins, if you follow along, please, John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood sticks, stone, water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Gana in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Weddings are big days in the life of a family. Holidays and funerals and uh, Mother's Days and Father's Days. And a wedding is huge. And especially in the culture of the ancient Near East, uh, wedding ceremonies and the celebration of them were large and uh, could last uh, many days. Uh, Often a week would uh, have been normal. Uh, The groomers responsible to provide for the wedding feast and uh, all of the expenses at the wedding. Um, Is that true for Michaela's? (laughs) Uh, Probably not. And uh, usually a dowry was involved between the bride and uh, the and the and the groom's family. And uh, so the bride has put up her side, and then to fall down at the wedding feast and for something to go wrong now is really bad for the groom's side of the family. And, uh, and running out of wine and not having enough p- food for people to eat uh, could invite a lawsuit because one side has kept up their side of the bargain and another side has fallen down. Jesus is invited with all of his disciples, and uh, there they are at the feast, and uh, then Mary notices they have no wine. Now, I wrote in my notes, I said it would be just like a woman and a mother to notice the problem. The men would be oblivious, but uh, Mary notices all of a sudden there's a problem and they have no more wine and uh, she has a simple solution she tells Jesus it's his problem (laughs) verse 3 when the wine was gone Jesus mother said to him they have no more wine 
and I think what she means is, here's a problem, and you're going to solve it. <laughs> I'm passing it on to you. And uh, I also take it this way, that uh, she often did this. He's the oldest child, and he's the perfect child. And I'm sure she has always given him tasks to do, and he always did them and always fulfilled them. And so now she has another job for him to do. And Jesus' response is literally, literally, what is it to me and to you? What is it to me and to you? It's not my problem, and you shouldn't get involved either. And I'm too old to have to solve these problems for you. Can't you see I've started my ministry? I have disciples. I'm no longer the man of the house. And it, I wrote down, why doesn't James have to do it? But there's more to, there's more to uh, his response. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus says, my time has not yet come. In other words, I know there's a time when I'm going to do something. It's going to be spectacular. This is not the time. And in the rest of the Gospel of John, when he's talking about the hour and the hour that is to come, he means the crucifixion and the resurrection, the great display of the glory of God, crucifixion and resurrection. And I love the way, I love the way it, uh, Mary answers this, why do you involve me? She just says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> I'm your mother, I'm not going to argue about it. I've already passed the problem on to you. So my first point for you is this. Why is it that mothers always know what is best for you to do? My parents made me take piano lessons for years. And I didn't like it. In fact, I tell people it's a misspent youth. I wanted to play sports and they wanted me to practice piano. In fact, they made all of my brothers and sisters take piano lessons, six of us, that poor piano teacher, because I was the only one that it took with. The rest were horrible. <laughs> In fact, my baby sister, she's 13 years younger than I am, she took piano for three years and never made it past grade two. <laughs> Grade two is like Mary had a little lamb. Uh, today, my little baby sister owns two physiotherapy clinic, clinics, part-time instructor at Queen's University, and she travels with some of the team, Canada national teams as a physiotherapist. It's funny that piano didn't take with her. But parents know what is best for you. The funniest story in my family that we tell all the time is when my youngest brother was in elementary school. My parents signed him up for, for tennis lessons. He didn't want to take the tennis lessons, so he ran away from home that night. Before he left, he wrote out his paper route so that his brother could do his paper route for him the next morning. Now today, he is, uh, how old is he, 48? 48, I think. 
Today he's 48, and we kid him mercilessly because we wanted to have tennis lessons, and we couldn't have them. There wasn't enough money for all of us to have tennis lessons, and he ran away from home because he had to take tennis lessons. So we always say to him, we only wish we could have had tennis lessons when we were kids. So I was just sitting over here this morning thinking about mothers. I can remember one time when I was a teenager in church, and our church had a huge balcony that used to, like a horseshoe around the, uh, around the platform. And uh, church was large at that time, Central Baptist in London. We would have 1,000 Sunday morning. 600 on Sunday nights and 400 at prayer meeting. Anyways, I I would often sit in the balcony. I remember one Sunday I was sitting in the balcony, sitting with a friend of mine. And we were talking in the middle of the service. My mother was down on the main floor. And she did this to me. She goes like this. And I thought, I'm not getting up in the middle of the service and going down there. So I just stayed where I was. The next thing, my mother was walking up the stairs at the front of the church in the middle of the service, right over to where I was. She made me get up and go downstairs and sit with her. (laughs) Oh, boy. I never misbehaved again where she could see me. When you go to church, you don't fool around. So here's Jesus, and he's 30-something. And his mother's still signing him up for things. (laughs) They have no wine. You take care of it. Uh, The Gospel of John has some wonderful, intimate moments between Jesus and his mother. This is one of them. Another one is at the cross. And uh, it's the Gospel of John that records Jesus hanging on the cross and looking down and seeing his mother. And he looks at her. And he looks at his disciple, John. And he says, Woman, behold your son. And he says to John, Behold your mother. Even while he's dying, making sure that she's taken care of. Mothers know what is best for you. Now, why does Jesus turn the water into wine? Why does he do it? I've got four reasons, and this is where we're going to end the sermon. Number one, he turns the water into wine because his mother tells him to. That's why he does it. Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you, and you may live a long time on the earth. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Exodus chapter 20. One of the big ones, a snapshot of the law. The Ten Commandments, right? A summary of what is most important for you to do in life and for you to regulate your life by. And honoring your father and mother is one of those. Obeying them, respecting them, taking care of them, and honoring them. The family's a big deal. Doing what your parents tell you to do is important. It's pleasing to God. It's required by God. Many of us will have the opportunity to help our parents when they're older. They're worthy of respect. Thank you, children, who have come here today to honor your father and your mother. The generation before us has built beautiful families, 
wonderful churches, a great country. Thank you, previous generations. And today we want to honor our moms for what they've done. So Jesus does this because he's honoring his mother. Number two, why does Jesus turn the water into wine? Because there's a problem and there's a need. And Jesus is in the business of helping people in need. And the help here is to save a family from embarrassment, to rescue a wedding from becoming a bad day. And Jesus does a miracle just for that. There's no problem in our lives that is too small or too ridiculous that God doesn't care about it. Give them all to him. Ask him for his help. Help others when you can. We've got a great God who solves problems. At uh, Ray Cressman's funeral on Tuesday, they are singing a song, Trust in You. And um, Lindley Creek just sang it the last time they were here. Um, Even when there are mountains that I need you to move, and you don't move them, and even when there are waters I need to pass through, but you don't part them, even then I will trust in you. Sometimes God doesn't solve all of our problems, but we still trust in him. Now, why else does Jesus change the water into wine? And I wrote down because it's an opportunity to display his glory and reveal who he is. Um, There are 120 to 180 gallons of water here. Changes all of it to wine. 120 to 180 gallons of wine. An ample supply. Now, when I was a kid, we were told that this wasn't wine, it was grape juice. (laughs) That was wrong. (laughs) It's wine. It's alcoholic. I was also told when I was a kid that they mixed wine with water. And that was true. They would often mix wine with water. But you will notice he's changing all the water into wine. (laughs) So they're not mixing this wine with water. It's the straight stuff. And a large supply of it. And what's more is the quality is superb. It is the best. And when they take the wine to the master of the ceremonies and he tastes it, he's surprised. Because usually what you do is once people are started eating and drinking, you give the best stuff first, but then afterwards the palate has now been compromised. People maybe have had a couple too many and so now you give them wa- the watered-down stuff. Now you send out the cheap stuff. And he's surprised. This is wonderful. Now, I wrote down somewhere in my notes from a previous time that I looked at this passage, I figured this was a 1,000 bottles of wine in today's world. A 1,000 bottles of wine, and if it's, uh, I think, a $10 bottle of wine in Canada, that would be a cheap bottle. That's uh, $10,000. But Jesus doesn't, doesn't make cheap wine. This is the good stuff. I have no idea what an expensive bottle of wine is. Maybe $50, maybe $100. This is a huge thing that he has done for them. 
Not only does Jesus solve the problem, but he solves it in a spectacular way. And that shows you his glory. He is the Lord and he is very God. Cares about people and he solves problems so that uh, the problem is disappears. There's a fourth thing. Fourth reason why he changes the water into wine. Displaying his glory is because this pictures he is the Messiah. Jesus turns water. Notice the water is used for ritual purification. It says that in verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial cleansing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. So before, when you came in from the outside, you would clean your hands and you would wash them, picturing that we have a holy God. And when we're outside in the world and we come in, we are unclean. And so we cleanse ourselves. Uh, Muslim faith still uh, performs this. Before they have their prayers five times a day, a Muslim has to clean themselves ritually with water. So when they think of Westerners, they think that we're dirty because they are constantly cleaning themselves so that before they can go to prayer. But Jesus takes all of this water used for ritual cleansing and he gets rid of it and turns it into wine. I think the reason is you, know, you no longer need water for ritual cleansing. After all, he's very God. And here he is with them. And he, he takes away all that uncleanness that we have at the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross destroys that. What is meant to picture how hard it is to live with the Holy God, he solves by the cross. And we can live easily with the Holy God because he dies on the cross for our sin. After all, ritual cleansing is just cleaning the outside. That's all it is. It is ritual. It is meant to picture something deeper that goes on in our hearts and in our lives when the Holy Spirit comes in and cleanses us on the inside. And I write down, you don't need ritual purification when Jesus is in the picture. There's the promise in the Old Testament. There's a couple places. Listen to this from Amos chapter 9. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. The time that is coming when God will be so gracious and pour out so many blessings that you will still be harvesting last year's crops and the person will be coming right behind the harvester and putting in the next year's crop. Because the crop is so huge. And they will, still, and they will be picking grapes and, uh, and just getting ready for a new batch of wine, and they will still be stepping on the old batch of wine. That's Jesus. He brings that. Joel says this, Joel chapter 3. 
In that day, the mountains will drip with new wine. The hills will flow with milk. The ravines of Judah will, will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacias. And Jesus is picturing that. I'm the one who's bringing that. Those days are the days that are coming because of me. And here you can see it in one miracle, displaying his glory. Well, what does this have to do with you and I? Two things. Number one, honor your father and mother. Jesus does it. Shows us beautifully how a 30-year-old, independent of his mother, and yet when she says we've got a problem, it is his problem. Honor your father and mother. Secondly, Jesus Christ is glorious. He's glorious. And uh, God has sent him into the world to be Savior and Lord of all men. And he came and he went to the cross. That was the hour that was coming. Not yet. It was coming. The hour when the glory of God would be displayed for all. Glory is an external manifestation of the greatness of God. We can't see his glory all the time. We can't see his love all of the time. We can't see forgiveness all of the time. But the cross is the external display of all of that glory. And you can see it. There's his love. There's his forgiveness and there's his mercy. There's his greatness. There's his justice. Easily seen on the cross of Jesus Christ. So today, today's the day to put your trust in him.